Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another episode of Friendly Reminder, a podcast. It's your friendly reminder of what's going on in our lives, around the world, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and as always, I'll be your host. And joining me today are my dear friends. Daniel, how are you today? I'm good, Gus. I'm glad we got a second chance at this. Yeah, we'll we'll mention that. Sam, (laughs) how are you today? I'm doing amazing. How are you? Doing really well. Thank you. Nack, you're back with us again. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing very well. I guess I was going to say this is this is kind of like my fourth appearance, even though it's my fifth time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to our listeners, what we're referring to is that this is actually our second attempt uh, at this episode. We did try to record this a few days ago. There was an issue on my end, admittedly, my fault, my internet's fault. Uh, but there was an audio issue, so we're back here. We're going to try it again. Some of this is going to be acting. We're going to be acting like this is the first time we're talking about this. Uh, so full disclosure, I hope I hope you like our, our acting abilities. Uh, I'm, Nack, I'm glad that I'm going to get to say Mandalorian, more like Mandaboring, you know, <laughs> because I forgot <laughs> to say it the first time. So. That classic. Let's look out for that, unless I forget. Nack. Nack, I wanted to give you another chance uh, to, if there's anything you want to plug, uh, any anything about your studio, your works, please, this sure. is your chance. Please uh, go check out, I'll plug two things this time, actually. Go go check out Little Doctor Games on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Games. Also, please, if you haven't already, go purchase my game on Steam. It's called Hellbanger. I would love you forever if you just went ahead and Click that purchase button for me. Sounds great. Thank you, Thank you for I'm that. I'm going to purchase it any day now, Nack. I'm waiting. Cool. Awesome. Thank you day. so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually waiting for it to person. go on sale. <laughs> you know what's funny? Dude, I keep getting emails from Valve about upcoming sales, and I forget to put it on sale every time. <laughs> so this is on me. Anyway. All right, folks. So if you did listen to uh, last week's episode, we did do a 2020 recap of the major stories of the year. Um, we talked a lot about uh, we talked about a lot of things, but uh, most of those stories, let's be honest, they're consequential, but they're quite depressing. So this time around, we're going to do a different kind of 2020 recap where we're going to talk about the things that helped us survive the year. And what I mean by that, we're talking about the TV shows, the movies, the video games, music, uh, you name it, just whatever it is that we took hold of and it took hold of us and helped us through this otherwise pretty miserable year. So we're going to start with, I think, a subject we all love, and sometimes a subject we all love to hate, and that's Star Wars. (laughs) And I'm referring specifically to season two of The Mandalorian, uh, which just finished its last episode, I believe, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago. I watched it all. In fact, I watched all of season one for the first time. Well, most of of season one for the first time. I did watch like two episodes last year. uh, And then I watched uh, all of season two as well. So I'm all caught up. And the thing about Star Wars, and specifically myself, is that the... I was pretty bummed out by the overall direction of the sequel trilogy. I I was not a particularly huge fan, especially of the last um, episode, uh, episode 
9, The Rise of Skywalker. I was not a fan of that movie. It left me in a kind of bad place when it came to Star Wars. And I think we all have differing opinions about the sequel trilogy, but I think we uh, can at least uh, admit that I think for many people, it did not deliver on the initial promise or what we initially wanted from that uh, from that trilogy and from rebooting Star Wars in general. So I, I don't know. It was kind of like an, when it came to Star Wars, it's almost like I was in a bad relationship and I had to take a break uh, and I had to just walk away from Star Wars. And now, guys, I think I'm ready to love again. <laughs> so I don't know if, if this show needs recapping. Uh, this this follows uh, the story of a Mandalorian, just like Boba Fett. He's called Mando. That's not his name, but that's what he's called throughout the show. And he finds a creature of the same race as Master Yoda, uh, except it's an infant, at least by that race's standards. Uh, and obviously, he was dubbed Baby Yoda. So... It follows uh, their adventures. Uh, Mando is trying to find. But are you spoiling the fact that it's not Baby Yoda? No, I think we're at as far as the first season is concerned. We're beyond spoilers. Everybody knows about Baby Yoda. It's not Yoda. It's just a creature that's a baby. Okay, that's but also just for funny. context, Sam and I are probably the biggest. Well, among the biggest Star Wars fans ever. Right? Both of us. <laughs> both of us started watching The Mandalorian and fell off. Uh, not, yeah. not okay, Sam. Not I. You fell off because you thought it was actively bad. I just fell off because I found it kind of dull. I guess, but that that just for context from where we're coming from. So you're you're I guess you advocate going back to it, right? Yeah, I think it's a good show. Uh, honestly, I was never as bored uh, as like you guys are. I actually thought the first episode was quite good, and I was quite taken by it. Um, Nack, you Agreed. like the show as well, right? Like yeah. you're kind of on my side here. Yeah, you fin- You're all caught up. Yes, I finished. Yeah, I've seen seasons okay. one and two. Yes, and you'd say it's better than the sequel trilogy. Yes, it's a h- okay. hard comparison because this it's, is the yeah. show, and it's taken and it's it's a. It, it it's a different take on on the Star Wars universe, right? Like this is yeah. a much smaller story. It's not like the the fate of the galaxy rests on the Mandalorian's shoulders. It's it's a more personal tale, uh, at least as of now. Who knows where season three or four takes takes the show? But uh, to explain the show. It's it's very episodic in nature. Um, there's a, obviously an overall arc, but every episode, uh, almost every episode, it's almost its own individual mini story. Um, and it, again, it, it follows the adventures of the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. Uh, what I like about this show, there, there's two things. One is what we just mentioned. I, I feel like it lowers the stakes in a good way. I think the smaller format does does it well. I think it doesn't take itself too seriously. I think it's funny. It's charming. It's a lot of fun. Uh, every There's no episode where, uh, unlike you and, and, and um, Sam, Daniel, like there's no episode that I was like utterly bored by. Like a good time, even if it, with episodes that I disliked. Um, although I don't think it's a perfect show. Uh, the the show that it reminds me of the most is actually the anime Cowboy Bebop, uh, in the sense that, like Cowboy Bebop, there's an overall arc, and obviously it's following like a quote-unquote space cowboy and, and his adventures with his crew. Uh, but there's also like very episodic episodes or kind of like mini stories in between the overall story. I do feel like, and this is not a huge knock against the Mandalorian because 
Cowboy Bebop is exceptional. It's one of the greatest animes of all time. But I do think like the personal stories or like the mini stories on, in Cowboy Bebop uh, affect the main character Spike on a far more personal uh, level, and it's far more emotional because of that. Whereas I think in The Mandalorian, it's a little kind of like um, uh, ways to justify the the end, like it's it's just a, a means to an end, so to speak. Uh, and it's I think I've seen this criticism, or I'm not sure if it's criticism, but just this description of the show that I do agree with that it's a lot like a video game where every episode is kind of like a mission in a video game. It's like, here's your escort mission. And here's like your tower defense mission where you're protecting a village or something like that. Or here's like the uh, the siege mission where, where you're attacking a uh, Imperial base or something like that. It, it is that. It's a lot of fun, but it does feel a little disconnected on, on a personal level at times. But it's still terrific. I still recommend that. Uh, maybe terrific is a little strong, but it's still very good. And I still recommend to see it all the way through. Um, there's a lot of casting choices that I do like, some that I don't like. Sam, I don't know if you know this, but the, forget her name, Katie's, forget her last name, but the actress that plays Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica is in this show, oh. in season two of this show. I'm not going to say who see. she is because... That's spoilers. Yeah, well, I but... saw a bunch of memes about her, and isn't she like a like a Mandalorian or something? She, yeah, not to she's get too into it, but she. she <laughs> no, she's. I wasn't sure because I did see memes about, it, and I was like, "Is that Starbuck?" Yeah, she's in it. She's fantastic. Um, some of the casting that are is, not too. One hot of the on. problems of the show is how quickly things get spoiled because they turn into memes so quickly. Like I had a major, major thing spoiled for me, like immediately after it came out on Twitter because they mentioned a certain actor was in the show in like the season finale. I think I'm not. I'm not gonna yeah. say what it is, but. It was like a very obvious spoiler as to some yeah. character appearing, but I had that spoiled for me as well. It was it was an yeah. Elmer, um, but yeah. I, yeah. Um, but yeah, like some of the casting I don't love. Um, Bill Burr is in this show, which I did not like that casting decision at all. Um, he's Agreed. not trying to act; he is Bill Burr. You're just seeing Bill Burr. He's acting like Bill Burr, uh, and I. I like the idea of his character, what he's supposed to be, but then he just turns into Bill Burr, and it, it just takes me out of it. So yeah, I so, wish that. What sucks is I like Bill Burr a lot. I like his comedy. I think he's genuinely funny. But then him superimposed into the Star Wars universe is just—it's yeah. such a—it's—it really does pull you out of it. Yeah, it's not really a knock on him. It's just how it makes me feel as a uh, part of the audience. I'm just like, what? What are you doing here? Like, this is this isn't working for me. Does um, he say anything uh, about is women? he in every episode or just like a few episodes? Sorry. He's the main no. character. <laughs> no, he's not what? the main character. Uh, he he has, I think, one episode or maybe one or two in season one, and then he kind of reprises that role for one episode in season two. Yeah. So he's not a major character. You don't so have to deal with the whole well. experience. Got no, it. but it is a negative, and it goes to show that it's not it's not a one hundred percent a perfect show. Uh what I will say that I think I like the most out of this show uh, is that when it comes to Star Wars, I think the main thing, it's its main appeal is its world building. Um, I think it's second to none. I mean, you mentioned this stack that really it's probably only uh, Middle uh, Middle Earth and J.R.R. Tolkien's world that can probably match it or surpass it in terms of world building uh, by, by other franchises. Uh, and my main issue with the sequel trilogy especially towards the end of it is that i felt like it deconstructed that world far too it was much so it, it slapdash. Made, 
Yeah, it made it sound way way smaller, and there, that's always kind of been an issue with Star Wars. Like for a universe, everybody's connected, and and Anakin built C three PO, and then like everybody knows each other, even though that's this universe with multiple planets and multiple galaxies. But um, it, I think the sequel trilogy took it even further and just just really deconstructed the world. And this feels like I can, an effort. I can, point to, uh, I can point to the line that that destroyed the world for me, um, which was. Dark science, cloning, secrets only the Sith knew. Do you know what line yeah. I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's yeah, the like Palpatine, that. eh? Palpatine's back. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's, I mean, it, it was like this, the, what should have been huge events just condensed into like this small kind of throwaway um, by story character. By J.J. Yeah. Abrams' friend. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to get into that uh, too much. I know there's disagreement when it comes to to Rise of Skywalker, but I do feel this is an attempt to to rebuild that world, and it 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 makes the world feel more diverse, and feel feel more vibrant, and feel more lived in. Um, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but there's an episode that kind of takes a look into the Tuscan Raiders and into that society. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is a society. Like it's it's not just a bunch of like uh monsters just trying to take away your your uh your, your vehicle speeder. or anything like that. Yeah, your speeder. Like they, this is a living, breathing society, and they have their own culture and their own traditions and their own way of life. And it doesn't like it's not a huge analysis or like a thesis on, on the Tuscan Raider society, but it's a nice like Oh, like we're gonna take this, like we're we're gonna show you some things that that maybe previous Star Wars stories didn't, uh, and not rely on the nostalgia so much. At least not yet. Like th there are some aspects where it is kind of relying on nostalgia. Uh, um, I don't hate that. Like I think there's a place for it. I just don't want it to like overtake the entire show and these new characters that I'm like slowly learning to to really care about. I think another cool thing about the show, too, is it I think like a lot of other good stories, um, it takes place in the kind of immediate aftermath of this giant galactic civil war that has just um, torn the galaxy apart. And a lot of the characters that you meet in the show um, kind of are still reeling from the effects of that war, struggling with the the roles that they played in that war, um, which is a cool kind of, in Star Wars, so much is just kind of black and white, and which I think so, is a valid criticism of the franchise, but I think this show does a good job of, uh, it's not a whole bunch of nuance, but it's a little bit more uh, of a nuanced look at uh the the aftermath of the of the war and and how people are dealing with that new reality that they're living in what's up sam Wh which war the, the 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 attack of the clones or the is it Star after war. episode six uh, no, they, wiped, they wiped out the clone war didn't they this he's referring to the the end of the original trilogy Return, the, the Return war between oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. the rebellion the clone, war, the clone war is not canon anymore Oh, it's canon, yes, baby. Yes, it it's is. canon. No, no, it yeah. Are you joking? What does that even mean? I Clone Wars canon. Dark science, cloning, secrets only the Sith knew. That's canon, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what is canon? Tell me. How can you have a Clone War if only the Sith knew the secrets of cloning, guys? Um. So anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and move on. Um. The the show takes place 
in I, I don't know if it specifies exactly how much time has passed, but it's it's kind of you can kind of infer that it's a handful of years at most since the destruction of the second Death Star. So there are still remnant forces of the Empire that are operating. Um, and the New Republic is struggling to gain a foothold in the Outer Rim. Um, so it's a, it's a very cool scenario for a lot of cool um, encounters for Mando as he's traveling and trying to protect Baby Yoda. Anyway, yeah. Sam, go ahead. I don't know. I forgot. Oh, I was just going to say, what's canon? I never understood what that meant. That is a long conversation, but essentially canon is like what is accepted to be uh, actual part of the universe and not like fan fiction or, or, or like the expanded universe, for example. That entire whole thing is not considered canon anymore as, as far as like Star Wars is concerned. It's like just yeah. alternative stories that actually exactly. are in part of the yeah, The rise of, of the Skywalker, world. it's fan fiction bullshit. It's not canon. So. <laughs> Didn't they actually eliminate, or they were talking about, or there was a rumor they were going to eliminate the sequel trilogy from the canon yeah. and make it like an alt story? Did that ever... Okay, that, sorry. That shit is not going to happen. But okay, On the conversation... The official, we don't have to talk about it because it's the official position of this podcast that it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of canon, I also want to say that, well, one, the, the producer is John Favreau, which he is the director of Iron Man and the host of Pod Save America. I'm just kidding. They're not the same person, <laughs> but they have the same name. Uh, but yeah, John Favre is the producer, and I believe Dave Filoni is the kind of the creative uh, head uh, behind the story. And the, and he's the uh, he's responsible for like the animated Star Wars shows, like the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, which I have not seen. But this this uh, this takes a lot from that. So I, I may go back and and watch at least what what people say are kind of like essential episodes. I don't think I'm going to watch the whole thing, but. It does like uh, it does motivate me and inspire me to kind of go back to Star Wars and explore uh, stories that I otherwise wouldn't have cared. So, if there was if it had one mission, like it, it, it accomplished it. So that's why I do recommend checking it out. I have heard some good things about one of one of the Clone Wars series. I think there's two, and one is bad, and one is good, and I forget which one. Is which, but <laughs> yeah. One of them is supposed to be good. <laughs> the one that's done by the guy who did Samurai Jack is supposed to be very good. Oh yeah, I remember that. Like he did like a mini series, right? Like mm. about that. Oh, and then I the other I'd one is some of that hit or miss. I've heard. Isn't that one, the one where like only kids have only seen that version of Star Wars and they still consider themselves Star Wars fans? Yeah, like there's a whole cult. There whole there's a whole like fanboy fangirl like aspect to, to just those series like it, it has a big following um i've never seen any of it but it's kind of like this whole other star wars world that just kind of existed somewhere else and now i'm kind of like kind of interested like I, again i'm not going to watch the whole thing but I, i'll probably check out a few essential episodes or what people consider to be essential episodes but that's it guys watch the mandalorian i think it was great i think it, it did its purpose in revitalizing my uh my love of star wars and that's not easy to do so check it out. I still, Daniel, Sam, give it, give it another shot. I think you might end up liking it by the end of it. Who knows? Yeah, you definitely, you've convinced me to give it another shot. You've like kind of convinced me. <laughs> well, I'm almost there. So Sam, six months ago, you talked about, I want to say it was around six months ago, but you talked about an anime that really, um, 
really hit you on, on a very personal level. And it's it's an anime that you, at that time you called you called it your favorite anime of all time. And that anime uh, is called Welcome to NHK, if, if, if I understand it correctly. So two questions. One, can you tell us a little bit uh, more about this anime for those that didn't listen to that episode? And two, is it still your favorite anime of all time? Yeah, um, I can definitely do both or answer both of those questions. Uh, to the first one, it's basically about this guy who who struggles with um, depression, uh, some anxiety, some paranoia. He, he definitely has like hallucinations of like his fridge comes to life and talks to him. Um, it's basically how I don't want to give away the ending, but it's basically how he tries to struggle to. I don't want to say to be normal, but to 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 live, to thrive, free. To yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, he has help with two friends, um, one seventeen-year-old uh, girl and uh, a friend he knew in school, um, and he. Uh, and doesn't NHK stand for something? Yes, and I completely forgot what it stands for. It's like non-educated, non-education. No, that's neat. That's that's neat. Not an education and training. You should be sorry. You should be. And that Uh, means just someone who's kind of dropped out of Yeah, dropped out of normal society and just lives in their apartment. Yeah. Um, I know what it is. Hold on. Let me see. AKA what we aspire to. Yeah. Um, what was the second question? <laughs> what does NHK stand for? But it, no, that's just probably is it is it something uh, anime? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's it's the only anime besides Neon Genesis Evangelion that that I've seen dealt with mental health issues and dealt with it in a very real way. Neonogenesis dealt with it in a very um realistic. <laughs> we're all we're all being right? asked by our fathers to pilot robots. Yeah. Was heavy, <laughs> very maximalist, Get away. Very avant-garde kind of way, like you know, the yeah. the the fate of the universe is still on, on you know uh, rests on on the character's shoulders type of way, which would cause anxiety to anybody. But it sounds like this is just a more personal way of dealing uh with anxiety and depression uh and not yeah. necessarily the whole world rests on on the fate of these couple of characters right yeah and you know he he struggles he i felt like what he felt like i've i've just like stayed in my room the whole time as and some people ask me to do stuff and i just say i can't or something so i've i feel one of the reasons why I like this anime so much is because I feel for the main character and because I feel like I've been through it. I've been through what he has and the character, or, um, sorry, not the character, the creator himself has had mental health issues in the past as well. And that's why he created Welcome to NHK. 
Yeah. And we and that should be noted, right? Because I think you've been very open and I would say brave to talk about your your mental health struggles with with depression and with anxiety. And it looks like with this, you're you're finding not some not only something that you can relate to, but something that uh, you know gives you your own inspiration and and just a, a source of of realizing that this is something a lot of people go through, and it's hard. It's not easy. It's it's uh, and. It's always good to have something that that reminds you of that. Um, I just want to say I feel brave with you guys. So it's the friends you make along the way, guys. Yeah. Truth. 2020. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Sam. Uh, So, Nack, you want to talk about a, a movie, and maybe we'll talk about two movies now, but a Pixar movie that came out earlier in the year. And you said that this was your the last movie you watched in theaters, but we are referring to Onward, and you want to talk a little bit more about that. So, yeah. Please. So, Onward is a Pixar movie that takes place in a fantasy universe. Um, so there are kind of fantasy creatures. I don't think there are any humans in this movie. It's all just fantasy creatures. But magic has kind of disappeared in this universe, and it's been replaced by what we think of as modern technology. Um, and the, the story is about uh, an adventure that two brothers go on. Um, they discover that their father, who passed away when they were young, when they were like babies, um, had left a message for them in a, with kind of a magic spell. And the spell that they, they're able to cast kind of like partially cast the spell and what the spell does is bring their father back momentarily so that they can speak with him again um, and be with him again and but they they something goes wrong and they actually need uh there's a kind of a MacGuffin that they need to go find so that they can um fully bring back their dad but they basically only bring back his legs and so that leads to a bunch of kind of comic antics throughout the movie but um i what i what really touched me about this movie the story is fantastic the ending is incredible mega tearjerker but ha- but the way that i connected with this movie on a very personal level was with the older brother who is kind of like his mom jokes that he, that it's the longest gap year ever he lives at home he's kind of uh early 20s, um, not really doing much, kind of a fuck up. He's a metalhead. He cruises around in a van. He I don't remember if he has a job uh, or or what his how he spends his time, but he's a metalhead and he plays D&D and and he's a fuck up. And all three of those things are things that I have uh, kind of identified with at times in my life. And uh, I just loved how um, that aspect of the movie was so earnest and so, um, at least, I mean, to me, you know, I really, really felt that. And uh, yeah, it was, it's, I mean, on top of all, on top of that, I mean, everything about the movie is just fantastic. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a true adventure movie um, that these two brothers kind of, strike out and uh I, I again i don't want to give 
too much away, but I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, and I'll use that to segue into this. I, I want to talk about Soul a little bit because I, I made a joke that it was really nice of Pixar to make two movies this year specifically for me. Um, <laughs> so shout outs to Pixar. That was really cool of them. This is Demon Soul or <laughs> Dark Souls? Yeah, Dark Souls. Yeah. How is um, this saving? How, does it have checkpoints? It has. Yeah, the checkpointing is fantastic in the new Soul <laughs> movie. No, Soul is a is the latest Pixar movie. Uh, it came out on Christmas Day on Disney Plus because theaters are closed. Um, and is it on the normal tier? Or do you have to pay more, like Mulan? Sorry to interrupt. I just figured. I don't think so. I think it's the normal. Uh, it's the normal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can, if you have the subscription, you can watch yeah. it. Yeah, we didn't pay any more for it. And this is a movie about a uh, he. He's a musician. He's a jazz pianist, but he is a he's kind of never really uh, taken off as far as being able to perform jazz live as a career. Um, so he's a bit, he's an incredible pianist and he he makes a living as a part time music instructor. This is also a life that I have lived. <laughs> and uh -huh. so um, that that also I really connected with that. Um, and the movie is kind of about. Finding purpose and finding. Your reason for being here. Um, mm -hmm. And I and I don't want to again From I don't, artistic from an artistic perspective. Uh, uh, sort of. Yeah. I, it tackles that. Like it's, yeah. it's, it kind of actually uses that as a, as a way to springboard into just a more general, uh, why are we here? Sort of what, what are we doing here? You know, um, where are all the aliens? Yeah. And why um, are we here? Well, you got to watch, watch the movie, the movie. but the, it's, it's, there. it's clear as day in the movie. You just watch the movie. Um, I, I really loved soul. Um, it's directed by Pete doctor who also did, uh, inside out, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I don't think soul is quite as good as inside out. I don't know, Gus, if you would agree with me on that one. Um, yeah, I, I would, uh, but I, I want to just say that there were a few scenes, there are a few moments in Soul that were just so profoundly beautiful to me that I, I think it's, it's kind of essential. Like, I, I, I just want everybody to watch that movie because there, it's, it's, it's not flawless, but the moments that are beautiful are just incredible just like i mean almost literally breathtaking i got a question yes is it like a normal person so yeah that's a good question so the the main character dies in the first like five minutes maybe of the movie um mm -hmm. and the, the movie is basically about him in the kind of space between this life and the afterlife and he realizes that he did not live a fulfilling life and he's trying to get back he he wants to come back to life um he he catches his big break he's he he lands a gig that he's really excited to play and in his excitement he <laughs> he falls into a sewer uh, in 
into a manhole and dies. Um, and so he wants to get back to the realm of the living so that he can play this gig with this famous musician that he's kind of always idolized. Um, anyway, I, and I, again, I don't want to talk too much about this because I, I really feel like everybody should just go watch it. If you've got Disney plus, this is essential. Please go watch it. Um, Gus, do you have anything else to add? Yeah. To well, yeah, I also watched it. Um, and I pretty much echo your, your sentiments to a T. Um, I agree that I would probably prefer inside out if I really had to pick between the two, but I do think that to me, this almost felt like inside outs, like sister movie, like it's companion movie. Like uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's also very existential. It's, it's very, uh, metaphysical. Like it's, 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 it, it it grabs a lot of those elements and it just tells yep. a completely different story with it. Um, I think it's also, I agree. It's, it's an essential viewing. I think it's a terrific film. Um, like I didn't watch a lot of movies this year, but I wouldn't be that hard pressed to say that maybe it's, this is my favorite film of the year. Um, I think, and maybe this is, this is kind of bold for me to say, but I'm looking at Pete doctor's work and it's like, he did, um, he did, soul he he directed inside out he directed up which is another terrific film he directed monsters inc like th these are these are some phenomenal Damn. movies and i really think that if like he's i don't know how long his career is going to be but if he pushes two three four more four more four more of these movies out i think we need to start talking about this man and kind of like hayao miyazaki territory like it's he, oh, wow. he's a terrific yeah he's a terrific yeah. filmmaker and, and i agree these are yeah, these are excellent, beautiful movies. Like they're not—they're not beautiful, just animated movies. They're—they're they're films, and and they're wonderful. And I actually want to say because usually the 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 description around Pixar movies is that they're like children's movies that can be appreciated by adults. But I actually think this is the first one that I felt was an adult movie that maybe children can enjoy also. Like there was some stuff here that I'm like, will children get this? Like there's a like Orson Welles joke like here. Like there's like yeah. some some pretty deep stuff also some of the imagery in this movie i think is is kind of scary like it's there this this is a movie that does tackle death head on and it's some of the imagery that it uses to convey some of these uh you know abstract ideas uh is scary and i you know we we jackie and i had the same exact thought gus um to, I want to. I want to touch on two things that you said. First of all, this does feel like a sequel to Inside Out. I know it's not, but it does. It's it's so much in that same vein. So if you liked Inside Out, this is very much. Uh, this will be up your alley. But also, I I looked at Jackie and I said, "This is a. This is like the first Pixar movie for adults. Like, and and yeah, I I think kids will love it. There's still plenty of kind of, you know, I, I don't I don't want to even call it slapstick but there's there are moments that are just you know goofy run around tripping over stuff you know that's that's the stuff that kids like but but this is a movie for adults i think first before it's before kids and the main reason I say that, because I actually don't want to be that condescending towards children, because, you, you know, it, it still surprises me on what kind of things they can pick up. But the reason yeah. I say that this is adults and kind of like what you mentioned previously with Onward is that I think it hits people that have lived a life, right? Like that have lived 30 or 40 years and can, or more and can kind of look back to what their failures were and, and where, where they wanted to be and where they are now. Like it, it asks of you to like go back and look at your life and and. 
and yeah, it talks about purpose. And and one of the things that it does beautifully is that it, and I don't want to give too much away, but it it's, says that purpose is, is far more complicated and and um, difficult to land on than we sometimes want to assume. Like sometimes humanity has a tendency to simplify what purpose is, and it's not always that particularly uh, easy to define or can't be defined by a, by a certain one thing. So it's a beautiful movie. It's 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 a, a fantastic story. It's super emotional. I, I'm not gonna lie. I shed one or two tears watching this movie. Which, like, when it comes to Pete Doctor, like, of course, like at the end of the day, I was like, "You motherfucker, you did it again!" Like, <laughs> but, but yeah, go watch it. I I'm so much looking forward to Mr. Doctor's like future works. I think. I, I think he's a talent, and he, he really will go. I think I, I, my my prediction is at the end of his his entire um, journey or career, we're going to look at him and, and see him. He see him as one of the greats, not just in animation, but in filmmaking in general. Agreed. Yeah. Anyways, that's our show and uh, our TV show and movie segment. Uh, lots of great stuff there, guys. <laughs> I thought you were so saying that's our care. show. Thanks that's, for no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we still, are far we from still got some more more to go. <laughs> so let's let's actually transition to another one of our many loves, and that's video games. Um, you know, it's been a weird year for for gaming. Uh, obviously, the pandemic took its toll on a lot of developers. They all had to go, you know, work from home and probably work maybe for some of them in very different environments than what they're used to. We saw some video games get delayed, some of them towards the end of the year, some of them pushed into next year. But even then, like there was still some plenty of great games that that came out this year. For me personally, like it's kind of weird because you would think that me being at home, working from home, just being here all the time, not being able to go out, this would have been a year where I would have just played a ton of video games. I That didn't happen. I don't know why. I don't know if it was the stress or just me trying to get adjusted to this kind of new, new life. Uh, but I did play some of them. And I think where I landed on as far as my game of the year is a game that I actually started playing all the way back in February, which is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Um, just to give a little bit of a backdrop, this is the sequel to Ori and the Blind Forest. Um, these two games are what we call Metroidvanias, which uh, I'll just go ahead and say now I absolutely despise that that uh, that type of uh, name or that we use that to define a genre. I don't think we should ask people to to know the history of two other franchises to to like know what kind of game we're talking about. Nack, you mentioned that your term for it or the term that you kind of landed on for these kinds of games are like exploration platform platformer, yes. right? Like, yeah. And I want as as our video game expert and developer here, like just for our audience, can you describe what what is an exploration platformer? Sure. So an exploration platformer is a game in which you are exploring and platforming. So you are, uh, it's typically a 2D side-scrolling game. You are jumping as one of the main actions that your character can perform. And you are traveling through a large interconnected world, um, exploring and kind of trying to gain access to new areas. And the way that you do that is through obtaining new items or abilities. Um, the, the design term that we use for this is key and lock system, which is anything that if, if you have to, if there's a prerequisite for you to access a new area or even accomplish a new, uh, a certain goal, um, 
that's just called a it's called a key lock system. It doesn't have to be physically or, or represented by a key and a lock in the game. Um, but for example, um, a lot of times this is, I think the, the best example of this, of a key lock system is bombs in Zelda and Zelda, not, a, not an exploration platformer, but, um, the way that bombs can open up cracks in the wall to give you access to new rooms is an example of a key lock system. So anyway, um, these games, typically you are, as you are exploring, you are, um, Often or almost always, there's combat as well. So you're defeating enemies, you're surviving as you explore and gaining access to new areas as you obtain new items and and power ups for your character. Thank you. And yeah, that's I think that's a great way of describing this game. Um, and I think when it comes to exploration platformers, is that there's I don't want to say there's two kinds, but usually you you see some of them either rely a little bit more on platforming, uh, or some of them are a little bit more focused on on the combat side of it. Um, the the original game I, I would say was very much very much focused on the platforming. Like there was combat, but it was very limited. Uh, it, even the boss fights were really just more of a chase sequence than anything else, um, and. And yeah, it was it was very much focused on the platforming, which was was fantastic. Like it, it, the first game was a, is a fantastic game, but this game it still keeps that that uh, emphasis on platforming, but it adds a whole lot of depth when it comes to the combat as well. Like it, it gives you a, a bigger arsenal, uh, it gives you more moves, uh, it gives you tougher boss fights, uh, fights, it gives you uh, passive abilities, uh, other abilities, and it's very clear to me that this the developers were inspired by another. Uh, exploration platform that platformer that came out a few years back, which is Hollow Knight, because I see a lot of Hollow Knight in this in this game. Um, it, again, uh, that that kind of emphasis on on combat. Um, the, it even has like a charm system where you have three slots and you have to pick and choose as to what kind of upgrades you want and maybe sacrifice others. Yeah, I forgot to bring that up last time, but yeah, that that is even the screen the the UI for that system looks like they pulled it directly from hollow Knight and then slapped new assets on it. But like, even like the positions of the charms are, are the same in kind of that, that configuration. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, 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 they definitely took a look at, at Hollow Knight. Now, what this game has is that I think it's uh, far less punishing in, in terms of, uh, how values your time so to speak like there's constant checkpointing uh here like when you die you're not going to be too far from where you were uh at at that point of death like it doesn't it doesn't push you all the way back it's 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 uh it has a like it has wells where you can quote unquote save but that's really more for recovering health and for warping to other like a fast travel system which eventually you can purchase even a more convenient fast travel system where you can just fast travel whenever you want uh, and you don't have to be uh at a well which those are kind of things where i wish developers would just give that to the player. I don't think you need to particularly gate that through progress. Hollow Knight had some of that too, where one of the charms was like, you can view a map. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Like, yeah. <laughs> just give me yeah. that ability. <laughs> like, don't make me use one of those slots for that bullshit. But it's still like, it's it's a little bit like, I think the quality of life uh, here is, is better than it is with Hollow Knight. To some people, maybe that means less of a challenge. But to me, like, I appreciate it because I can just play it. I can leave and I can come back and I kind of more or less know, know where I am. So... Uh, very accessible game, very beautiful game. Like I want, I do want to say, like I, I forgot to mention this, but I act, when I got this game back in February, um, I 
I got it on Game Pass. I should note that it's on Game Pass. And I started playing on my 1S. At that time, it was kind of a technical mess. Um, I do know that since then, um, the Moon Studio, which is the studio behind this game, has been hard at work with patches. Uh, there's a Switch version that I actually did purchase as well, uh, and I played, and that actually runs pretty well, um, considering it, it's a portable device. And then I eventually got it again on the Series X, and on that thing, on, like with a good 4K television or um, with HDR, like it looks beautiful it's so sharp and it runs perfectly well like 60 frames per second absolutely no hiccups i don't know if that's the case now for all platforms i imagine it's the case for like even mid to to high-end pcs but at least for the series x version it, it blew me away how how great it looks and also the music is phenomenal and that's something i forgot to mention last time but the, the music here is breathtaking and wonderful and it really evokes that kind of like uh studio uh, ghibli type of feel like it's 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 wonderful and it, it, it's yeah. also kind of an emotional story I, I i should note full disclosure i haven't seen it through the end but so far much like the first movie it kind of like tugs on your heartstrings too much much like a pixar uh, or a hayao miyazaki movie would so Love it. Highly recommend it. It's on Game Pass. Check it out, please. But Nak, let's move on to your pick, because I think your pick is is uh, it's getting a lot of attention. I, I, even some outlets have declared this to be their game of the year. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about Hades. That's a game that you're really impressed by. Yeah, so um, I was at, you know, I want to say I'm actually a little bit surprised that this game resonated so well with so many people because it's in a genre that I think a lot of people either a have been kind of done with for a while. It's because it has been going for a while um, or B it just completely turned them off. And I'm talking about, and we're going to do this again, um, the roguelike or roguelite genre. So once again, we're using a, a title of a game to describe a genre of games, which I think we need to figure out. This one I don't have a I don't have a cute fancy term for. I think permadeath, procedural permadeath might be the best way to describe this genre of game. Um but it's it's run based. Um it is a isometric action game. You control a character named Zagreus who is a how did I put this last time? So it's it's a fictional addition like to a demigod a, right he's a demigod he's the son of hades um and so that yeah he was created for this game he's not part of the greek mythology Pantheon, yeah yeah um but he is kind of like a teenage kid who um or young adult who is trying to escape from the underworld and go to the surface. And in the beginning of the game, you don't really know why he's doing this. Um, but his father, Hades, has basically instructed everyone in the underworld to stop him. Um, and being a demigod and being immortal, when he dies, he basically returns to the underworld. Well, and that's, that's how they kind of say it again. I was going to say level of Hades. Like Tantalus, right? Isn't that what it's called? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Sorry, I, since since we recorded the first episode, I actually played this game quite a bit, so I'm I'm like picking up on some of this. And sorry for interrupting, Nick. No, that's cool. Um, 
And so that's that's how they work in the the permadeath sort of restarting from the beginning. Um, that's fr from the narrative standpoint. That's how they work that in. Um, so there there are a few things about this game that I think make it um, exceptional. Uh, the first is the just the gameplay itself. The the depth of gameplay and the and the breadth of gameplay are both um, incredible. The there are a handful of weapons that you have. I think I'm not sure exactly how many there are. Um, six or seven, I think. I want to say. There's a shield. There's like a sword. There's yeah. like a trident, bow and yeah. arrow, that kind of thing. Bow and arrow and a gun. Yeah. Like a, and they each have like a different, you know, variety of different attacks and upgrades and things. Right. So so mechanically, the, the weapon that you pick drastically changes how you're going to approach the combat in the game, which I think is always a fantastic design choice. Um, and but then that is expanded upon by the power up system. So as you go through the underworld and fight your way toward the surface, you are encountered by the Olympians, the gods in the Greek pantheon who grant you their power through what the game calls boons, um, which are basically power-ups to your weapons. Um, and through the, the, you have a little bit of choice. It's, it's a little bit random, but you have a little bit of choice as well. Um, in terms of what, what boons or what gods you kind of choose to focus on to, to best fit your play style. Um, and to, kind of build your character out each run to be able to handle the combat. And um, the way that that all works together, it's, it, it's, I don't have enough time to go in detail into how brilliantly it all kind of fits together, but it is fantastic. It does, yeah. It, it creates uh, some very magical moments when you realize how some of these uh, different power-ups chain together. Uh, for example, you know, one of the power-ups is, is like, I think it's hey, uh, Ares power-up. It's like a these spinning blade kind of vortexes that fly around. Yeah. Um, but you can, you know, you can get that attached to your dash and you can get it attached to one of your other power-ups. So soon you're, you're, you're like dashing around and you realize, oh, I'm going to play this like just dashing around, leaving these little blade spirals to, to clean up all these little, it's it, a lot of crazy stuff happens. And it's, it's just the variety of combat is, is quite impressive, especially because when I first started to play it, it felt a little bit repetitive, which I think is, you know, I mean, it's a roguelike, so it's a little like, okay, I'm kind of slashing, I'm running through, I'm slashing some more, I'm like dodging. Okay, this is, but, you know, just as you upgrade just the variety of various combat scenarios, it gets it gets very entertaining. Um, yeah. And I haven't even made it past the first level of Hell or Hades, the Tantalus level, but um, it's still, I mean, I don't know how many levels there are, but are there quite a few? Yeah. So there are four worlds. So basically you're at, you are up against the boss of the first world. Okay. Um, and after that, you'll, so each world also kind of has its own theme, which you will kind of discover as you play through the rest of the game. And I don't want to give too much away about that because it does get pretty cool once you get closer to the surface. Um, and then even after you complete the game, there's so much. So I've already had two successful, quote unquote, completed runs, but I have not, there, I have not seen the true ending 
Um, and I, and I haven't, I, I don't even know if I've unlocked half of the total amount of power-ups and things like that, that you can unlock in this game. So there is a bunch of stuff going on here. The revi- variety of just sort of, what's the word? Lore, uh, the background, the the conversations you have with the gods, it's kind of staggering. Like it's not a lot of repeated stuff. It's like you'll pop into a room and you'll say something and it will reveal a little part of your backstory and your interaction with the gods and Hades and everything. And it'll be like, oh, that was random. And and just, I'll never see it again. And I'll be like, could I miss that? And just never seen it again. Because <laughs> it reveals like a little part of the backstory. And so the one thing that I think I'll say about myself as uh, in terms of how I consume video games, very, very, very rarely do I want to read the text if it's just a lore dump, you know, if and it's games like, I don't know, CRPGs. I always skip the, the dialogue and I jump right into combat. And sometimes sometimes that ends up causing me more problems because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing or, you know. But I always skip through that shit. I want to get to the gameplay. Let me start slicing stuff up, you know. Um, but I highly recommend, first of all, everyone should play Hades. But also, don't skip the dialogue. It is so well written. It is so well acted. The voice acting is absolutely incredible. And part of what makes all of this work so well is that the the characters are aware that you are trying to escape every night. And they will comment on what happened to you in your most recent escape attempt in ways that I... it's It's incredibly it's staggering how many scenarios they they accounted for when they designed the narrative system the dialogue system it's like you got killed by this thing or or you got killed in this way (laughs) or or like on my first escape attempt they'll be like oh don't worry you'll do better next time and it's like this very polite character but on my 20th escape attempt they're like there's no escape (laughs) and i'm like oh my god Yeah, it's awesome. And and again, I I do want to reiterate the the voice acting is so good and it's it's like it's just hammy enough that it it really sells the like the greekness of it. Um it feels it's a family like, drama. It's yeah, uh, it feels cousins like, being mad that you're taking the side of other cousins and it yeah, it feels Hades like morality play. Condemned, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Um and so and, and then the, the last thing I want to touch on about why I just adored this game this year was or or is the the, the visuals all throughout are fantastic. I have it on both Epic Game Store and Switch. Um, and it does look better on PC, um, but it but it runs great on Switch. If you want to get it on Switch, I recommend that. Um, but it, it does look beautiful on PC. Um, but the what I want to focus on is the the user interface and the the design and the the animations of the UI are all just incredible i don't think i've ever seen a game with as polished of a ui as i've seen in hades um 
And you notice it more when you go play another game. So it's like you you will get used to how menus in Hades kind of sw sweep onto the screen and kind of get wiped away. And just these tiny little details that this attention to detail that they've given to just the user interface. Um, Which makes the whole loop very smooth, I think. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and when you when you go play another which game, which might which might lead you to kind of mash past the dialogue, which you should not. Again, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, you should not do that. Yeah. Um, what one thing about the UI that I tend to do? Maybe this is just me. Sometimes I I just and again, it's maybe just mash past the dialogue because it's a roguelike. I just run up and I want to check if I've given a gift to a certain god because you get uh, certain items that can give you bonuses if you give gifts to the gods um but i'll just run up and talk to them by accident and and not check that that and it's just my fault for not not giving not like pausing for a second to give them a gift i just run up and talk to them which bypasses your way to give them a gift and the other thing my other mild criticism of it is i'm not entirely sure the art style has grown on me i really so this is a super giant game yes right and I really loved Bastion's art style, and I really loved uh, what, Transistor. What Transistor's art style, and I thought it was so clean and very um, what's what's the word? Not iconic, but very like maybe iconic. It's very of it of the game. You know, even though they were similar games, they were both uh, very yeah, it's got similar a perspective. visual identity. Exactly. Whereas I feel like uh, Hades is kind of it's almost a little bit of a pastiche of all of the other games. It's like some of the places are all neon and some of them are like, there's not really a consistent theme yeah. in the character I design. Like for example, the main character Zag is kind of like a, and maybe this is just cause I'm playing it on switch. Um, so the fidelity isn't as good or, you know, I, I play it on undocked a lot of the time. So, but you know, the main character is almost like, Sometimes I'm like, oh, it kind of looks like he's almost from a different game. When you look at his like animation from these like Greek, you know, these these Greek figures. I don't know. It, it might grow I on think me. I, I, just, mean, I think I just disagree. Okay. <laughs> I, think it's, yeah, I think it all. I think it's all very cohesive. I think. Yeah. The I think he, I mean, Zagreus's design is just fucking a plus character design visually. Um, it, I. Yeah, I think that uh, it it does look like a super giant game, which I think, um, I guess th probably the only thing that even ties all th all three of those. They, they also made Pyre, which is a game I haven't played. Um, but the three that we're talking about, Transistor, uh, Bastion, and and Hades, they're all isometric games. So maybe that is a part of that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Maybe I think it's just it's, the, those three or those two games sort of startled me with how sort of beautiful they were. And I don't think Hades hit me in quite the same way. I'm not sure. Hmm. Maybe it's just I played those on PC first or and not Switch undocked, you know? Yeah. It does. But it, I, I'm it, looking at Zagreus's character. It does look very cool. He has the he has the three heads of the of the dog Cerberus. Or, or Cerberus on his as as his, his like a, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. And you can pet um, Cerberus, which is you my can pet part. Cerberus. 
But you can only pet one of his heads, which I think maybe makes the other two heads jealous. Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, Hades is a hell of a game. Well, sorry, one of the pieces of dialogue indicates that the other two heads don't like to be petted. So, Oh, interesting. Maybe you did, missed that. Yeah, maybe I skipped through it. Um, <laughs> yeah, go play Hades. It's fucking A+. Plus. Awesome. You know, like... I actually didn't think about this, but like both of these games, you wouldn't consider them uh, both Ori and Hades. You wouldn't really consider them as like Switch games first, but they are both on the Switch, and you you can play them on the go. And the Nintendo Switch, still a threat. Yeah. <laughs> and I also, before we move on, I did, uh, and in fact, you mentioned this, Daniel, when in our first recording, and I'm going to steal the idea, is that I want to. Do want to mention Game Pass and give a shout out to Game Pass um, again for those of you that don't know. Game Pass is Microsoft's subscription service. It's available on both the Xbox and the PC, where you can pay ten bucks a month if you just want Game Pass, or fifteen bucks if you want Game Pass plus Xbox Live, which is called Game Pass Ultimate, I believe. Uh, and uh, it's very similar to Netflix. It gives you a category of games that you can download. Uh, and in, in fact, if you own an Android device uh, and i think next year for ios you, you can even stream uh, on your phone and on your tablet um again you're probably going to need a very good connection um uh, so just look out for that but it's like it's it's a hell of a value usually they have it on sale where you can get like three months for a dollar and if you do see that sale there's absolutely no excuse just just get it like it's a dollar and you get access to, uh, for three months of that like and honestly i pay 15 bucks i don't regret it i never feel like i'm paying too much if anything i always feel like really i'm getting all of this for 15 dollars uh and it's actually how i mainly how i game like i bought i've purchased very few games this year like i want to say like animal crossing um, I stupidly bought Ori on the Switch, uh, even though it was available <laughs> on Game Pass. Um, I I bought Cyberpunk just the other day, Assassin's Creed, like four or five games I, I bought this year, and the rest have just been Game Pass. So, shout out to Microsoft. It's it's a hell of a service. Uh, if you have a, a PC or an Xbox, uh, regardless of which one, uh, take advantage of it. It's it's great. I uh, I just recently got a Game Pass. And for a dollar, actually, it was it's pretty sick deal. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's still going on, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, look out for that. Sometimes they yeah. have like just just a month for a dollar. Still get that. Yeah, the, it, they always are running some sort of every other month. It seems I see yeah. like yeah, get Game Pass for you know whatever three three months for a buck or whatever. Anyway. All right. Well, that's our video game segment. Thank you guys. Knack. You are many things. Uh, you know, you're an educator, you're a game developer, uh, but you're also a musician. Uh, you're a drummer, and you're, as you mentioned earlier, you're a metalhead. Uh, so you wanna, you wanted to give a rundown on uh, uh, the year, the 2020 year in music, uh, and the year in metal. So the floor is yours. Yeah. So I think, uh, like a lot of people, I ended up not having a commute for most of this year, um, and I. Uh, you know, the pandemic has been awful and I'm not going to sit here and whine about <laughs> not having a commute because I, or, you know, because I didn't have as much opportunity to listen to music. Um, but that is the case. I, I do wish that maybe I had just spent a little bit more time or, or 
thought about that because I do feel like I missed out on some music this year that I've got to go back and catch up on. Um, and now that everybody's year end lists are coming out, it's they've done the hard work for me and I know what's going to be more up my alley. Um, yeah. But uh, I do want to touch on a few things here real quick. I won't take too much time, but um, one album that really hit me in the in the uh, metal bone uh, is Liturgy's The Origin of the Alimonies. Liturgy is a is an experimental black metal um, project. Um, it is it is a band, but it's usually thought of as the project of or the brainchild of uh her name is hunter hunt hendrix and um she in i think 2013 or earlier in this or i guess last decade uh, she put out a kind of manifesto of what black metal had been and where in in her opinion it needed to go and her project liturgy is what she refers to as transcendental black metal um it is very it's it's experimental it's i'm not going to say it's uh or i will say it is not entry level black metal i don't think if you if you haven't spent some time with black metal um this might be a tough listen because it is very abrasive. It is very um, dissonant. Um, and Daniel and I had a joke when we were in college, when we were both kind of getting into metal, about how uh, it was evolving to a point where eventually it was just going to be people gurgling into a microphone and just... Um, and this is kind of that <laughs> we've kind of reached that <laughs> point. Um, it is, but it's, it's, it actually is so, so, so much more than that. Um, it's got a lot of Christian themes and it, uh, I believe she has Hunter Hen Hunt Hendrix has referred to it as post Christian. Um, it is a theological opera and it, um, it is it, it does have a narrative and a story, and I'm not familiar with what that is or what how the story goes or anything like that. I haven't looked that deeply into it. Um, she puts out blog posts where she kind of explains what's going on in her work. Um, and that if if you want to dig into that, it's I'm sure it's interesting. i've I've glanced at it, and it was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to take in, um, much like the music that she makes. Um, but what's interesting about this black metal is that it's it's whereas traditional black metal typically just uses like electric guitars that sound like they were recorded underwater onto a tape um and and drums in a fucking cathedral um this <laughs> sounds like it's it's very high fidelity in in recording um but it still manages to sound like a lot, like a wall of sound. Um, and it makes use of a lot of different kind of out there instrumentation. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's give it a shot, check it out. I under I fully understand that it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. 
Um, but it is something that I think is really, really pushing the envelope for metal and for black metal specifically. Um, and it gets a lot of hate from black metal traditionalists, which is always good that if, if you're getting hated on by, you know, the true cult black metal following, then, you know, you're doing something right. Um, fuck them. Yeah. Fuck them. Big black metal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I also want to quickly shout out to kind of the, a new subgenre that surfaced for me this year. And it's, it's kind of been rumbling around for a few years now, but this year was the first, uh, time that it, it really kind of hit with me was, is, uh, so it's, it's a play on Wabum, which was the, the new wave of British, British heavy metal, which was like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden in the eighties. So this is Nawatham, which is the new wave of traditional heavy metal, um, And it's basically a resurgence of the metal of acts like, well, like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, but also Dio and Rainbow. Um, And it's with with fantasy themes and swords and magic and dragons. Um, And that shit is fucking awesome. And it's fun. There's a lot of like arena rock anthems belting out. Yeah. Yeah. and it just it's it's all about the riffs you know it's all about the solos it's all about the wailing vocals um and it's just fun it's just it's just heavy riffage fun to headbang to it doesn't take itself seriously it knows what it is um yeah it fucking rules go check out the 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 band that i think everybody should go check out is called eternal champion Listen to the song Skull Seeker if you want to get into it. Um, and yeah, although we had trouble finding just that song, there was something weird about. Uh, Only the whole album is available on YouTube. Yeah. So go listen yeah, to that whole album. It was weird. <laughs> but it was still pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's, that's, uh, I, I wish I had listened to more this year and I, I will. I'll get to all the stuff that I missed, but that was what uh, stuck out for me this year. Awesome. Yeah, you know, a bit of a weird year for music. Um, I'm a big pop fan, and I feel like this year pop music was kind of defined by the quote-unquote quarantine album. Um, I think Charlie XCX had had a really good album at the beginning of the, or really the be- beginning of the pandemic. I think it's like how how I'm feeling now is what it's called. Uh, much to my surprise, I think my favorite albums or albums of the year is uh, are Taylor Swift's uh, two two albums that she put out this year. Kind of like also her own quarantine albums. It's one of them is called Folklore, and then the sister album is called Evermore. I actually think both are great. Uh, they're both. Uh, um, she worked with the lead singer of the of the National, um, who and if you're familiar with with the National and their kind of uh, their style and their songs, like it's I'll, you hear a lot of that in these two albums. It was kind of an interesting take um, or direction for her because lately she's kind of been more of like you know Taylor Swift, the biggest pop star in the world, and she has albums that kind of match that status, like very bombastic, like very poppy, very highly produced. And this album was really um, 
it deconstructed all of that and it was very stripped down very emotional most as the name switch suggests she's telling like little stories uh in in each of the songs and it's really fun uh, i think it looks like she had a lot of fun creating these two albums i'm not uh, a taylor swift fan by any means i i've i've enjoyed red i think that is the last album of hers that i i've generally enjoyed most of the time it doesn't click with me uh but yeah i think these th these two albums are were really really did impress me so 2020 the year where i denounced kanye west and taylor swift has my favorite albums of the year <laughs> what the hell <laughs> it's a weird year it's been a weird fucking year man <laughs> sure has let's talk about uh you know another audio or uh, so different kinds of audio that have entertained us over the years or over this year, I should say, and that's podcasts and, and audiobooks. And really, Daniel, you're the one that has been consuming audiobooks and podcasts like a madman. And you have co a very comprehensive list uh, that you wanted to talk about. So, yeah, uh, I actually went back and cut my list down a little bit because I wanted to make a little bit more personal recommendations rather than just sort of a uh, and I'll do I'll do a couple of honorable mentions, but yeah, it has been a big year for podcasts and audiobooks for me. Was not for whatever reason a big movie and video game year. Um, although, as I said before, I, I played quite a bit of Hades recently. <laughs> um, so my favorite podcast of the year, it's, uh, one that I recommend all the time. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it because I'm constantly spamming the chats with with links to the episodes, and that's uh, Behind the Bastards. Uh, which is a podcast about it's it's it, it started in 2018 and it started as kind of like a here here's sort of the background the offbeat untold stories of of the bastards in history um you know first few episodes were the sort of standard bastards hitler stalin mao uh those folks uh but uh since it's it's become you know he's he started to take on a variety of topics uh that have become more and more interesting and I think are are very uh very tuned to what's going on this year um so the host is is a guy named Robert Evans and he's he's a journalist he's not I would not call him sort of a neutral objective journalist he's he's kind of a strange guy he's a bit of a survivalist and I actually built a uh pandemic food supply emergency food supply uh on his advice uh, because he did a special episode about the pandemic um he's a bit of a gun nut and kind of an anarchist so that that's where he's kind of coming from so you kind of have to go in understanding that um but the variety of episodes have been very cool um just to quickly list off some he's done episodes on harvey weinstein multi-part episodes on harvey weinstein multi-part episodes on jeffrey epstein uh, multi-part episodes on Oswald Mosley, who was a British Nazi who inspired the Christchurch shooter. He's also done more, maybe might be called controversial episodes. He did one, I believe it was called Mark Zuckerberg Should Be Charged with Crimes Against Humanity. I believe that was the name of the episode, which was fascinating. Um, he's also done an episode on Elon Musk, um, which I will say uh, was pretty persuasive. Um, and I, I, there's a couple of episodes I wanted to recommend, um, if anybody's, if anybody is interested in this series, uh, one is, uh, he did a seven part series on the origins of American policing, uh, which I thought was, you know, fascinating. He went back to how, um, American police in the South came out of the slave patrols, uh, which was 
you know, it's a very interesting story. Um, they also released that as a separate podcast called Behind the Police. Um, they did another episode called Behind the Bastards, The U.S. Border Patrol is a Nightmare That Never Ends, <laughs> which is about the origins of the U.S. Border Patrol and how, uh, in his opinion, it started out as basically a band of roughnecks that was hired to sort of get rid of the local Hispanics, <laughs> kick them off the land uh, and and send them back to Mexico. You know, whether or not they were citizens documented, that was kind of beside the point. Um, that was a very fascinating episode. Uh, one of the funniest episodes, which I actually re-listened to uh, recently, is a two- or three-part episode on John McAfee, uh, the guy who founded the antivirus uh, company. Um, and that guy... Um, Let's just say it involves uh, going to a small town in South America and taking it over via the police station. Uh, Chinese research chemicals uh, that he takes, you know, for recreation. And uh, he once paid women to poop through a hammock into his mouth. Um, let's just say, <laughs> cool. I'll just leave those little delightful little hints there uh, <laughs> and suggest that you go listen to the episode. Um, Finally, the last episode I'd recommend uh, is an episode he did on the Bhopal disaster in India, which was a, an American company called, uh, I believe it was called United Carbine. Uh, and it was an industrial disaster in, in India. And he was very, he, made, he did the episode purposefully because he thought, uh, he saw the discourse surrounding the series Chernobyl and how it, uh, kind of was being used to basically point at communism and say, look how bad central planning in it is. It it, just, it killed, you know, 50 people or whatever. Uh, whereas the Bhopal disaster killed thousands of people. And it, he called it the industrial disaster that makes Chernobyl look like kindergarten. Um, so that was, that's also a great episode. Um, so podcasts were a big part of what got me through the year. Um, and similarly, audiobooks. Uh, got me through the year. I've been consuming audiobooks and, you know, written books like crazy this year. Uh, not sure why, uh, but, uh, and it's been fiction and nonfiction. Um, so I have a couple of sort of broad recommendations. Uh, I've been reading a lot of horror this year. Um, and one of the forms that I find the most interesting is the short story, uh, horror short stories. I feel like the short story is good because it doesn't, it, and it can be a little more effective and scarier because it doesn't force you to sort of suspend your disbelief for longer. Um, whereas it's it's harder to scare someone over the length of an entire novel because it's it just it, it allows them to sort of get used to the situations. Whereas horror sort of derives some of its power through its like uncanniness and weirdness, uh, which can dissipate you know, the longer you spend with it. But um, if for people who are interested in getting into the, the sh horror short form, I highly recommend Ellen Datlow's collections. Um, she puts together a bunch of theme-based collections, uh, ghost stories, end of the world stories, Lovecraft uh, style stories, uh, one called Alien Sex, which I have not read, but I will at some point um uh they're weird they're fun sounds tantalizing yes, they're they're weird they're fun they're freaky uh they turn me on to a lot of great short story writers who've also written longer works 
Um, they she also does best of collections each year, which I highly recommend. Uh, you know, best of volumes one through sixteen or whatever. There are audiobook versions of them. They're also written versions of them. They're they're all excellent. Um, I would also recommend she does a best of the best of, which is a best of collection of all of her best ofs. And I would highly recommend that also <laughs> um, if you're interested. Uh, so that yeah, Ellen Datlow again is the editor again. Uh, great, uh, great form of fiction that I sort of not, not discovered, but rediscovered this year. Um, my last uh, set of recommendations are actually two nonfiction books. Um, and I'll start with my second favorite book of the year, which was uh, called Cast The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, I would call it one of the most interesting books I've read from the perspective of uh, reconceptualizing what I thought of American race politics. And I'll, I'll explain what that means. Um, it takes the idea of caste uh, from, you know, most, most famously in India and applies that concept, um, that analysis to American race politics. Um, and it is uh, enlightening in ways that I did not think were possible before. Uh, it the, you, Treating racism as a caste issue and not as a sort of racial politics issue forces you to get away from the idea of racism as sort of this interpersonal niceness thing and look at it as more of a social, a broad social issue because caste is something that's, you know, you can't have... I mean, I guess you can have personal caste interactions, but when someone hears caste, they think of this is a society-wide thing. It's not just, am I being racist towards X or Y, right? So that's why I think the most powerful, uh, you know, it's it, he, she takes this idea and she looks at the entire history of racism in the United States. Uh, you know, she, she, I believe she's a journalist, so, so, you know, take, you know, she's not a, she may not be a professional historian, so you always have to, take with a grain of salt uh that but it, again excellent book highly recommend it it's not particularly obscure it was actually an o oprah recommendation too but uh, highly recommend it i actually got it for christmas <laughs> from from uh in my in-laws and and i thought that was great because you know they thought it was great and you know i i'm not going to return it because you know i listened to the audiobook but i love to i'd love to have a hard copy book of this too um Finally, my favorite book of the year was called The uh, Jakarta Method by Vincent Bevins. Um, I think in similar ways to Cast, uh, it uh, took a look at the Cold War and, and tried to analytically flip it on its head. And it did so by making uh, one of the central moments of the Cold War uh, the annihilation of Indonesian... Uh, I mean... You can't call it genocide because it's not a race, but basically the mass murder of Indonesian communists. Uh, that was uh, supported, and basically Bevins makes the makes the argument that it was basically uh, perpetrated to maybe not perpetrated, but aided and abetted by the United States uh, intelligence and. Uh, uh, military and the government um, at very high levels. Uh, 
and this is not a small. So this is this was this involved. I believe it's uh, the mass murder of hundreds of thousands of innocent people. Not not um, not a a sort of. I mean, this this is these are crimes that are extraordinary at the, on their scope, and they're not really a part of anybody's history curricula. Um, but for whatever reason, um, probably because the U.S. had a hand in them. This is these are crimes on the scope of what happened in Vietnam. But again, it's not something you really talk about. And at the time, this was considered a victory for the United States. It was actually considered the main victory. Um, Indonesia was considered the primary uh, success story of the Cold War, whereas you know Vietnam was considered the failure. <laughs> and the reason it was considered the success story is because of the swiftness of it. Because it didn't involve a prolonged war against communists, it involved just wiping them out completely, um, sort of in a matter of weeks, you know. Um, so the remarkable thing about the the book is that it does it does sort of reframe the Cold War in this way. You know, you, you learn about it as you you can learn about the Cold War in different ways as as the battle against uh, communism, you know, Western liberalism versus communism, freedom versus totalitarianism. And you know, there's not. I'm not saying those narratives are untrue. Um, I'm just saying this. This is a different uh, narrative, which is to say, the idea of communi- the idea of anti-communism being such a destructive force that it wiped out an entire set of very of peaceful individuals who were, you know, only interested in just uh, obtaining a better life through democratic institutions. Um, and you know our country had a hand in that so again excellent excellent book i've actually read the whole thing twice (laughs) and i've purchased it for quite a few people so uh, it's called the jakarta method by vincent pevins highly recommended um and those are the books and podcasts that got me through the year Thank you. And yeah, I'm glad you're bringing up that, especially the Jakarta method, because we've talked about that. Uh, we've talked about this topic on this podcast where it's we do need to highlight some of these uh, stories because they are part of our history that oftentimes we're conveniently leaving out. And when I say our history, I mean, American history. Um, mm-hmm. This is part of who we are. And there is a, a a purposeful movement to try to hide these things, right? Like look at the right, not to get, I don't want to get too political into the, in this particular episode, but like look at the right wing attack on the 16, uh, the 1619 project uh, and, and uh, like outwardly try to hide the fact that yes, this was a country built on slavery and the slave trade and, and, and horrible crimes uh, against humanity. Uh, it's part of who we are. And if we're ever going to want to get into a better place, we have to recognize this dark aspect of our history and not just pretend it didn't happen. And look at the way that mild leftism, mild socialism is being labeled as communism, as violent, uh, anti-civilizing communism. Uh, I did want to talk about two uh, uh, podcasts uh, that inspired me this year in in very different ways. Uh, One of them, I think, Daniel, it looks like it's one of the ones that you cut, uh, but I did want to give a shout out to the Five to Four podcast. Uh, which is a podcast uh, on the Supreme Court, uh, and each episode goes uh, goes over different decisions um, and kind of highlights, you know, uh, the darker history of the Supreme Court. I-
you wanted to add, Daniel, you're you're a lot more versed in this uh, department than I am. But yeah, it's it's a it's an excellent podcast. I cut it out just because I was going too long. But it is an excellent podcast. It's a in academia they would call it the legal realist perspective, or maybe something like the critical theory perspective. But it's basically just taking a very like all right, like, look, these judges, they, they may dress it up in flowery language, but at the Supreme Court level, they're politicians in robes, and they're making very shrewd political calculations, and, and it's very evident from the decisions that are being made. And and it's it takes that uh, approach from the analysis, and it is a very, you know, strangely enough, there's not that many uh, legal podcasts that, that take that approach. Uh, so I do... I recommend it. It's it's irreverent. It's funny, and I think it is is very smart. And I found it a, a, a particular source of inspiration. Like I, I actually still go back to their episode of when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. I talk about our episode on that, uh, and when I listened to to that particular episode, it instructed me right as as a podcaster on how how to present myself because I was like. I was blown away by that episode. I was blown away by their chemistry. Uh, I believe the three hosts, it's like Michael, Peter, and Rihanna. Are, are those their real names? Are they using fake names, I imagine? Um, I'm actually uh, not sure. Who would do that? Um, <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> uh, that particular episode blew me away in just the way they interacted with each other. And it kind of instructed me as, as a host to... I felt at the beginning when we started this podcast, I was a little bit more restrained. I was a little bit more uh, polite. I held off a little bit of, of going into more passionate rant. And that kind of instructed me, like, why do that? Like, this is this is a very important year. It's a consequential year. There's a lot of fucked up things going on right now. And it's important to, to express a little bit more passion about that. It's important to cuss sometimes. It's important to sound angry. It's important to call people out when they needed to be called out and stop being so fucking polite. Um, and since then, I felt like I became a better host. I became a better podcaster. And I felt like the episodes since, since I started watching that kind of improved a little bit in, in quality and I have to give them a shout out because I, I learned a little bit of that from that episode, but also from uh, really just their podcast in general. The other uh, podcast that I do want to give a shout out and it's not a new podcast. In fact, it's, they've been around for a long time. Uh, I want to give a shout out to just giantbomb.com in general, uh, but there are two podcasts, the giant Bombcast and the giant beast cast. Uh, specifically, I want to oh, highlight oh, the bomb fans like yeah. big bombs yeah, bomb yeah. Giant bombs. <laughs> yes uh, no it's uh it's a video game website and there are two video game uh, uh podcasts uh, that i've been listening to i want to say i started listening to them since 2012 uh they've really been the first video game podcast that i've uh, actually dedicated myself to listen week week in and week out um and the reason that i wanted to highlight uh, highlight them this year is for two things. One, because I have a, a, I'm in a podcast now. Uh, I'm part of it, and one of the reasons why I wanted to start a podcast was because I listened to that podcast, and and I realized the importance of or the the power of of a good podcasting crew uh, crew doing this day in and day out. And I know right now our our audience is probably small, but if it ever does get into like the hundreds or two hundreds, like I hope they look forward to our conversations the same way I kept looking forward to the conversations uh, with the the Bobcast and the Beastcast crew. Because it gets to the point that you're almost like, you, you learn their mannerisms, you learn their behavior, you learn their the way they joke. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
and how they interact with each other and who's like the father figure, who's like the crazy one, who's like the more nihilistic person. Like you, you learn all of that. And that's, that's, that's how I want our audience to eventually feel uh, about uh, ourselves. Uh, and the other reason I wanted to bring it up is because uh, specifically the Giant Beast cast, they lost two great uh, uh, hosts or two great members of, of their uh, of their podcasting crew, Abby Russell and Dan Riker. They moved on. Uh, they, they, they went on to, to do uh, their own things. I think they both have Twitch channels if you ever want to check them out there. But I loved I loved it, them both. Like I loved listening to them. So it's a big loss. And that's another thing, right? Like, you know, it's podcasting can be powerful when I hear the news that somebody is leaving the crew and it's like, I lost something. Like I personally feel like I lost like, uh, or I'm not going to see a friend anymore as much as I used to. Like it's, it's a very personal feeling and it's, it's inspiring. So that's, that's what I hope for this podcast. If not now, then at some point in the future. And I wanted to just shout out those two sources of inspiration uh, because they've been been—they've helped me this year and they've helped me with this, with this particular uh, endeavor that I've enjoyed so much. And on that note, you know, Sam, on our previous episode, you mentioned something that, that I think I kind of just mentioned right now. But some of the things that got us through this year were not just, you know, it's, it wasn't just media consumption. It wasn't just TV shows and movies and and. Uh, and uh, video games. It was other things on a more personal level. So can you talk a little bit of some of the things that got you through the year that's beyond just music and games and shows? Yeah, um, two main things. Um, The first one, this podcast for sure, I've enjoyed every minute that I've been on it. I've counted the days until I can join you guys again. Um, I feel... Like I said earlier in the podcast, I feel brave with you guys, so I can feel like I can tell my 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 true life, as it were. I guess I feel like I've learned a lot from this podcast. I feel like I've grown a lot from this podcast. I've I enjoy every one of you. I love every one of you. Um, most of us have well. Uh, Daniel and I have known each other since mil- uh, elementary school. I've known Gus and Nack probably. Was it high school or middle, middle school? Middle school. Middle school. Yeah. So we've known each other for a, a very, very long time, and we're—I consider us all brothers. Um. So that's why when this podcast specifically got me through the year was because I was able, even though we talked a lot about depressing topics and uh, terrible things that happened, um, I felt. I felt excited to join it every day or every every week that we did it. Yeah. Thank you. I know I'm I'm just a guest, but uh I'm glad that I could be a, a part of it. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And the second thing um is Dungeons and Dragons. I I am pretty new to the game, but um I love it. I was a dungeon master. For a very long time, <laughs> my homebrew campaign lasted quite a long time, which I hope is a good thing. Um, Daniel and Nack, they were on it, uh, and they said they enjoyed it. Um, uh, we played it over Discord. Yeah, and uh, this website called Roll20, which if you're trying to find, if you're into D&D and you're trying to find 
a play a place to play it when a lot of places are closed. Roll Twenty actually has things where you can look for players, which is pretty cool. Um, and look for um, look for uh, campaigns and things. Uh, we're on a different one now that's been created by our good friend Nack. Uh, what's it called again? Well, I I mean I named it Pulsar Crash RPG because I'm a narcissist. <laughs> And I knew yeah, it another... it's not D and D. It's your own RPG. Yeah, I I, I wrote the rules and everything, uh, but it's a, it's like a space western setting. Yeah, yeah. And you see, you said that it's kind of based off of Mandalorian. It took yeah, it takes so. a lot of inspiration from like Mandalorian, Cowboy Bebop, as Gus said earlier, uh, Firefly, uh, Outlaw yeah. Star, stuff like that. Some great, great TV shows and anime. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, D and D. I've also counted the days. Um, it it brings people together in a very cool way. I think. It's, I was gonna say it's. Uh, I you know I agree. D and D has been amazing during the pandemic. It's it's very easy. It, it was pretty quick to do to do it over uh, Discord and and things like that and i'll tell you a little secret about D, which will probably it's a little uh not nerdy and that you could cheat and not and just <laughs> ignore all the rules and just flip coins or roll dice like it doesn't matter just tell just tell it's all about um collaborative storytelling just give the just make one person the dungeon master and make them make all the decisions and they can secretly roll whatever coins or flip flip whatever dice and make decisions for the game and it's still fun um and it's just about collaborative storytelling and uh that's that's why it's so great and it's fun and funny and you get to make your own characters and play them and our space western game is you play a very intoxicated very <laughs> fun doctor the town doctor and i play the sheriff who's always getting him out of situations or getting him into situations depending on what's going on but oh uh if uh to help people understand what I'm what my character is like, uh Nak has said that I'm like Bender from Futurama. So I think high praise <laughs> like in, that in, that state. in that he's powered by alcohol. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um and there's one other thing that I've that I've enjoyed throughout the year, even though I've only got it like three days ago. My new Apple Watch. So there we go. Uh, Finally. It begins. <laughs> Call me. Yeah. You've reached the pinnacle of being. <laughs> I was just going to say, and obviously another important thing are friendships and family, uh, the people we love. It's It's been a tough year for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people have lost loved ones this year uh, because of the pandemic or other reasons. It's 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 been a profoundly difficult year, but at the end of the day, it really at the very least, you know, it it teaches you the importance of each other, uh, of being around each other, of trying to support each other and trying to listen to each other because uh, it it takes a village to to really try to get out of these situations. But let's go ahead on that note, just go ahead and end the show because it's been a hell of an episode guys i want to thank each and every one of you not just for for this episode but you know for joining me throughout throughout this entire year so knack again thank you so much for being our guest today love having you here 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to more episodes. And uh, good luck. By the, by the way, good luck in the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes. See you in 2021. <laughs> yeah, Happy, Happy new, year. new Year, guys. Thank you so much for having uh, for having me, Jesus Christ, for, for doing this podcast and hosting it, Gus. I want to thank you. And I also want to thank you for saying it takes a village to get out of this situation <laughs> when you were trying to wrap it up a second ago, which I thought was funny. Sorry. <laughs> Sam, thank you for joining me. Of course. I will count the days till our next podcast. Well, it should be soon. Any any minute now. And to our listeners, as Nax says, yes, happy new year. Uh congratulations on making it through this year. I hope each and every one of you are safe uh and are having uh a good holiday season despite everything thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode thank you so much uh for for all of you for welcoming us into your lives listening to this podcast i, I understand you know it, we're new we, we we went through some learning curves and and some growing pains but we're trying to get better each and every single episode and we really appreciate every single listen so happy new year uh, here's to 2021, hopefully being a much better year than this one. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week on another episode of Friendly Reminder.